Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. All right, everybody. Welcome to the EWC Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. And Aiden Gingrich. All right. Joined with a special guest, one Aiden Gingrich, my son, who uh, had the... I was going to say privilege, but also responsibility. I would of, say responsibility. Of preaching and sharing God's word uh, Sunday a week ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, thanks to scheduling issues, we weren't able to have the midweek podcast last week. So we wanted to just catch up a little bit this week and talk with him. Uh, Aiden's one of several young guys who are part of School of Ministry, a two-year uh, ministry development theological uh, foundations program that they are going through, which is uh, some reading, some studying, some classwork, some paperwork. And um, it, it's just been exciting to see you guys sort of latch on to God's word and especially some of the tools in sharing God's word. And I know you've done that a couple times before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, how was this time? Was it different? Was it the same? What, like, what was better or worse for you? I would say, uh, because this was my fourth sermon that I've got to do. Uh, on the first couple, I kind of got into the swing of things. On the first one, not at all. I did, <laughs> I did, I did an eighteen-minute sermon, and it A was solid eighteen, and it was almost pure plagiarism from Albert Moeller. Uh, after that, I I actually started to dive into it and do my own like expositional study and. Yeah try not to use too many resources. And actually on this last one, I didn't use any external resources at all other than scripture. But, and part of the reason for doing that was the amount of scripture I had to cover. Oh yeah. So doing three chapters in the Psalms, it was a completely new experience for me. Sure. Just like every other sermon, because I've only done four. Yeah. But this one was a specific challenge of going through and trying to balance i mean one of the big priorities was the amount of time i went up there because as i was reading through this and i did my notes uh i did i did this little fancy world not world word calculator to just kind of see how long it would take to speak what i had written down and it was like an hour and a half (laughs) so i had on behalf of the congregation we thank you yeah for cutting that down (laughs) yeah i cut it down pretty good and that was my rough draft but on this one i would say the big tackling factor for me was uh, not worried about what I had written down or like being true to God's word because that's like I don't want to say that's easy but if you're careful it's easy enough to get to that point yeah this one was battling my own like nerves up there and trying to get my speaking to be coherent and like actually nice to listen to rather than someone just getting up there and just throwing a whole bunch of words at you and then saying, that's it, which I did say that at the end, (laughs) but that was the finish. Yeah. The ending needs some work. Climactic and quick. Yeah. I got done and I was like, that's it, everybody. Uh, 
And I forgot to call up the worship team. I've but run out of stuff to yeah. say. <laughs> I, it's all right. I, I periodically, when things get, uh, the orders get shuffled around a little yeah. bit, uh, then I'll like forget to take up the offering. Almost every time we move it, even though I have notes and things laid out, you're kind of in your in your head and in the moment and, you know, God, what what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you doing in the hearts of people? Uh, how do we tie this whole thing together? And then I, I forget stuff. Too. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> Luckily, we have a good congregation to do that in front of. We kind of have an awesome, awesome so. congregation of saints here. Uh, so what was your what was your sermon on? So my sermon was over the Psalms of creation. Okay. So a couple of them, two out of the three of them were by David and were, they just kind of followed a pattern of, it starts in the Psalmist, whether it's David or whoever, the other one is unknown, uh, starts by looking at creation and at first saying, this belongs to God and we can see his splendor and majesty displayed in it. Yeah, And then we go on, and then the middle section usually goes through, and like a lot of Hebrew writing, has a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. And the repetition in there was just showing aspects of God in his creation, whether it was his his care or his like taking care of it. And like there was a lot of water in one of my passages mm-hmm. that I went through, and it was just showing how God nourishes creation with water, and whether that's he destroyed it in one of the passages and yeah. then brings it back and then gives the plants water, and then the birds can live there, or even the creatures drinking the water. Yeah. but So it's an interesting balance, and that, that kind of highlights it. Uh, uh, which one? Was that Psalm? Did you have... You had eight? That would have been 104. 24, so, yeah. and then 104. Uh, 104, specifically, it has this long litany of things like, okay, it's God who... Uh, feeds all the animals. Mm-hmm. It's God who who provides food for the birds. Uh, it's God who causes crops to grow in the field so that man can have food. And then, so it says, it's God, it's God, it's God. And then it says, and the lion goes hunting. Yeah. Well, he does, but it's God who provides it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then immediately after, it's man who does his work toiling in the fields. Well, he does, but it's God who provides it. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's God's provision. And I, I was thinking specifically on that Sunday when you were mentioning water and kind of the delicate balance that water has with living beings with the planet and things like that. Uh, and you had mentioned, you know, just a tiny, tiny little scientific adjustment to the molecule of water. And it becomes, instead of, uh, a source of sustaining life, it becomes poison to us. Mm -hmm. But it made me think even, even when it's not poison, like you take the average college freshman heading off to school and mom sends along with him or her a plant to stick yeah. in the window of their dorm room, right? And she gives instructions like, seriously, all you got to do is water this thing once a week. Or, you know, it's a cactus, like water this thing like once a month, whatever. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening and you're going, that's not how you water it. I know. I don't know how to do these <laughs> yeah. things. We're not worried about that right <laughs> and now. And that's kind of the problem <laughs> is one tiny little adjustment too much of water kills it. Too mm-hmm. little kills it. Like there's this really delicate balance and it seems to be just repetition on repetition uh, reinforcing this idea that it's God who not only provides but he provides in the exact right proportions yeah. for human flourishing and, and in fact all of life flourishing on the earth which is 
astounding when you think about it. Like I can't keep a plant alive and he keeps the whole planet alive. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. It's not too bad. Uh, but then you started with Psalm eight, which has this rather, uh, famous line in there that that's oft repeated, uh, what is man that you're mindful of him? You know, I, I consider the stars, the heavens, uh, which are, you know, these, these giant galaxies that are out there that are work of your fingers. Yeah. You know, not, not the work of your right arm, your, your strength, the, the work of your fingers. And then he goes, who am I? Like, yeah. what, what's man that you're mindful of him? Uh, the son of man that you would care for him. Uh, how did that, that thought impact you as you looked at these verses in here? So as I was studying through, and I think a big piece of giving a compelling sermon isn't, and this is just a little side note on your side note, uh, is to give a compelling sermon, like something that somebody genuinely wants to listen to and reaps the benefits of gospel conviction. I would say you need to write it in conviction. So one one of my things there, I actually made a contrast in that spot of, where the verse before it is, it says, you put the stars in the sun and it's like with your fingertips. Yeah. And then it, David is saying this about God and this is at the start of the chapter. And then he looks down on himself and he's like, what am I? Yeah. And as, and as I sort of read into it in my own life, cause I know we're not supposed to add ourselves to the old Testament stuff, but in this case, I think it may be appropriate because it's thinking it's in the lines of, who am I before yeah. God to even deserve this grace, which is just seeing creation and being nourished by what God has provided. And so I was, I was super into that. And one of my other points was looking at God's revealed word and Christ coming and drawing that line of Christ back to that part where it's, what is man that you're mindful of him? And David is just saying that in the context of looking at creation yeah. and then adding Christ coming and dying and being resurrected for my sin. Yep. How much more significant does that passage become? And it's, it was just something that like really, really, it didn't, it didn't sadden me so much as it was. I mean, it, it was sad to look in that way at myself, but it's also the, the overwhelming joy of God has looked at me. I am man and God is mindful of me. And that's, it was just a reassuring and sort of world stopping thought yeah. for me as it's I was writing. It's rightly it. humbling. Yeah. And I think that's, that's maybe the, it's that mixture of emotions where you, f- you feel happy, you feel sort of sad in going like, oh no, like I'm literally nothing. Yeah. Not like, oh no, I've discovered I'm nothing and I'm depressed about it. Yeah. But like, oh no, I'm nothing and I'm standing before the living God. Uh, I can't get low enough. Yeah. You know? But then it just explodes in this, you know, what's man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you would care for him. And yet you've made him a little lower than the angels. Yeah. You've crowned him with glory. You have this uh, imago dei there, the, the image of God being put on humanity. And as, as the crowning creature of all of God's creation, uh, made separate from every other animal, made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me think of, seen on videos nowadays where you'll you'll start with a, a point on on earth on the planet and then the camera sort of picks up and you see not just the person but the neighborhood uh the city the state yeah the united states 
pulls back the continent, the whole world, and then it then the whole world is super small. So yeah. you, you started with one tight focus on a man, and you pulled back to a, a entire planet that now looks super small mm -hmm. and the man's just invisible. And this is kind of the opposite where God starts in the cosmos. He starts yeah. in, in the universe and the, the sun and moon and the stars, which you have made. And then you're looking at that and it's almost as if the camera pans down and it starts focusing in on this human being, like sort of drawing down on this human, only it doesn't. And this is why I think it's okay to find ourselves yeah. in this it doesn't then magnify him and make him look big. Yeah. Yeah. That was the big point. It's like some camera perspective trick where as it zooms in, you get closer to the man, but he still seems small. Yeah. He still seems far away. And in that, I think we can rightly and humbly find ourselves in God's word and go, Hey, I'm nothing too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, David goes in light of the vastness of our God. I'm literally nothing. And that's different than Beth Moore, rather famous. She's a, a famous and then infamous women speaker a few years ago who had this big tirade and kind of caused a split in the SBC church. Um, and she's like, every time I read scripture, I try and find myself in the passage. Well, that's, that's self-centered. Yeah. That, that is a me centered gospel. And this isn't that like, this is so God at the center that when I see myself, I say, who am I? Yeah. You know, as opposed to, well, I have a right to do this. I'm just, that was her argument. I'm just as good as everybody else. Why can't I do it? Yeah. Well, okay, go read Psalm 8 and get really small. And then let's come back and have this yeah. conversation. It, but our pride just seems to jump in. It does. Right, so you ended in Psalm 24, uh, which is, by the way, one of my favorite Psalms, because I feel like it's a glimpse into heaven. And... Uh, you have sort of these, these two parts that are contrasting a little bit, uh, but it's meant to highlight what's the center of it. So maybe talk to us just a little bit about your thoughts on Psalm 24. Yeah, so as I was going through in my sermon and just doing the preparation and trying to decide which book to end this with, because I had, or not which book, which chapter to end this with, because yeah. I had three different chapters to choose from. As, as just as I was going through making my notes, I really sort of was struck by, uh, and even in our Saturday morning little sermon get together, yep. I'm not sure what you would call that, but wonderful is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little bit and I got some insight from the third generation who's not in this room, Harold Gingrich. <laughs> uh, but as going and, through, and you're talking about our preaching team meeting. Yeah. Yep. Good. Yeah. So as like as I was going through before I even came to that class, this one really struck me with like this vivid image imagery. Whether it's because that's that's what this chapter is kind of filled with is we see creation as David describes it, and then we see the image of creation. But then we kind of turn the camera to this other thing, and it focuses on this dwelling place of God. Yeah, and we once again are looking at man, but this one is specific because he's asking a question and he's, he's saying, who can ascend this hill to be in this dwelling place of God, this mm -hmm. mountain and who can stand in his presence. And so we get an image of this mysterious person who can do this and stands there. And it says that he'll receive blessing and, oh, what was it? Well, he has clean hands. He has a yeah. pure heart, uh, received the blessing from the Lord, from the God of his salvation. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. 
And so as we were looking at it, it asked the question of the man who has clean hands and a pure heart can ascend this hill. But then again, going back to almost that image of Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? Starting with that was super helpful to get that meekness established yep. in our minds. Yeah. And the answer is Christ. Yeah. And so the first image there we get to see is Christ, who is the one who mediated for us and received salvation and blessing from God, but Christ didn't need them. And so then it says that the generation that follows him, which is the generation that follows after this man who can ascend, that's us. Yeah. And he gives those things freely to us. Yeah. And then as we continue through the passage, we get a second angle, which is of this city. And there's these gates and these doors. And it's saying, lift up. And it's, it's not quite saying like, hey, you guard, lift up that gate. It's mm -hmm. almost as if the man who's coming in is speaking to the door, and I'm stealing this from you, and I'm crediting <laughs> it as my own. Uh, and he points at the gate, and he says, lift yourself up, and it does. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the image we want to see is this righteous and all-powerful king. Yeah. And then someone asks, who's coming? And they say, the king of glory, he is coming. And then as this man is like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's almost liturgical. Yeah. Like a, uh, an organized call and response. Call yeah. and response. Lift up your heads. Wait, who's coming? Someone yeah. says. And then the, the response is the king of glory. Yeah. yeah. And so then this guy who asked the question, it almost seems like he turns around and is like, lift it up. And like lift up these doors. And then it, and it finishes wonderfully with once again asking who is this king of glory. And it says the Lord, and then it's, I think it's the Lord of hosts is how it refers to him, which just yep. simply means the Lord of angels, the yeah. God over the beings much more powerful than us, mm -hmm. just to sort of repeat that the King of glory, he is coming, lift up the gates, let him in. But then it also was like, just to assign even more power to this guy, the creatures that you guys don't really know about that are told to you in scripture to be higher than you. He is Lord over them. Yeah. So it's just kind of beating it, beating it down, getting that image of an all powerful sovereign God. Yeah. Who is it, coming. It's a triumphal procession. Uh, Jesus had a, a triumphal procession into Jerusalem mm -hmm. uh, the week of his crucifixion. Uh, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, this is his triumphal procession into heaven itself. Yeah. As completed sacrifice and now conquering king, uh, coming as this mighty warrior king, you know, that gets described in there, uh, mighty in battle. Yeah. And I love that, that it's tied to this, who can ascend, who can go mm -hmm. up, to the hill of the Lord. And, you know, Jerusalem is the city set on a hill. And again and again, in the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament, uh, Jerusalem, a city on a hill, anytime it talks like that, talks about Zion. Yeah. Uh, it is this picture of the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the throne of God, also the place where God is rightly worshiped. Mm -hmm. We fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. And we find that God is establishing a new city with a new throne. And there is no more sacrifice because Christ is the perfect once for all sacrifice. Uh, there's not even a light in the city because God perfectly yeah. lights the city. Like it's this beautiful image. 
And so you have this call who can go up, who can, and it, you know, it's that kind of presence of God because it, it says who can stand in that holy place, not just who can go up to the city. If it's who can go up to the city, well, it's every single Jewish worshiper who doesn't yeah. live in the city. That's why we have all the Psalms of ascents yeah. right? because they're singing these Psalms as they're ascending this mountain. So they go, who can go up us? Yeah. Right. That That's not what it's talking about. It's who can stand in the presence of this holy God before the throne of God in the place of worship of God. And the answer is only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Yeah. You know, who can stand in this kingdom of God that is and is coming only the perfectly pure. Like yeah. That the whole command, be holy as I am holy. And our danger and tendency, and I, I thought you did a good job of steering us away from this, is to go like, well, yeah, that's me. I'm going to work. I'm going to work really hard uh, through prayer and Bible reading and church attendance and, you know, a whole list of do's and don'ts to be a Christian with clean hands and a pure heart. Yeah. Well, man, that's not it at all. I, I loved how you said it. Christ received these things that, you know, he'll receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. He didn't need it. Yeah. It, he had clean hands and a pure heart. If If he has that, he doesn't need it. Yeah. Which, by the way, that one was yours. That I, one I was like, mine. I like when you said that. Uh, he received it for us. He received it on our behalf. Not only did he suffer on our behalf, he received righteousness on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And then he gives it to us. Yeah. Which is great, because every once in a while we'll sing a song from the early 2000s that's, you know, give us clean hands, give us pure heart. Let us not lift our soul to an idol. God, let us be the generation who seeks your face. And... We can sing that as long as we don't read ourselves. Here we go, Beth Moore. Read ourselves into Psalm 24. Well, I'm going to be the one with clean hands and a pure heart. Yeah. No, Jesus is that. I'm Psalm 8. I'm super small guy mm -hmm. who, apart from God, is just crushed under his holiness yeah. and righteousness. Except in Christ, I've been given his righteousness. So when we say, give me clean hands and a pure heart, it's from Jesus himself yeah. based on what he's done, not what we've done, which is super cool. And then we get to be part of this liturgy of heaven Yeah. as, and it literally, it's going to happen. Like I, my firm belief is that we are going to take part in this liturgy in Psalm 24. Like I, I really think it's going to happen where we will stand uh, at the end of all things, like, what, what a cool picture this is. Uh, with every saint who's ever lived, right? Mm -hmm. Abraham's there. Moses is there. Adam is there. Uh, every saint who's ever lived, and we're gathered around the throne of God. And it, every week we do, we do some liturgy. So we have, we have the call to worship, yep. and it has call and response. Uh, we do the, the creed at the end, which has some liturgy that, that we either know or are learning. But we put the words up for you just in case, yeah. right? Uh, we won't need words for this. Like when some angelic trumpet sound says, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors. And together, I think we get to together be the ones who go, uh, who's that king of glory? You know, for all the, uh, the years of suffering and struggling in our faith on this earth, uh, the payoff is going to be, we'll be standing at the gates when Christ the King, mighty in battle, he's just defeated. Uh, the last enemy to be defeated will be 
death and sin mm-hmm. and cast into the lake of fire forever. Satan is gone forever. And that warrior king turns around to those gates. And I think we're going to get to be part of this liturgy in heaven, which is why there's a lot of people who go, why do we do liturgy at our church? Like when EWC doesn't strike you as the type of church who would have a liturgy in yeah. our worship. You know, I, we have a worship team that makes a lot of noise. We with have loud drums, drums up yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I, people, people come really dressed casually. And yet what I don't want us to do is lose that there is a sense of formality mm-hmm. as we come before the living God. And as we do, we are going to uh, posture our hearts to say the right things, believe the right things, uh, and therefore live in a certain way. Yeah. And I think it's coming. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it just super excites me. Yeah. It's good. And then maybe just to jump into this week's real quick, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, it's good because we need to be reminded when tough times come to us that the King of Glory is still on the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, our temptation is to think, well, in fact, this is this is word of faith theology, which which is why I believe word of faith theology is uh, evil and dangerous. Uh, they look at Psalm twenty four verse one: the earth earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they go, nope, yeah, no, the world and all who dwell therein, nope. Uh, when it here's word of faith theology: when Adam sinned. When, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, the the first sin, when man falls, uh, that he hands the keys of the kingdom, all of the earth, all the people of the earth, all the dominion of the earth over to Satan. And it's Satan who now runs everything. And because God has lit, and by the way, I'm going to keep saying it so you don't accidentally tune in late and go, that's what they believe. This is word of faith theology, not us, that, uh, God has therefore limited himself. He he could do anything he wants, but he's limited himself to where he gave all the control to man and man gave it to Satan. So now for God to do anything, man is still the guy in the middle. He's calling the shots. So man has to speak it into existence. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why uh, there's a really popular song out there right now. I speak the name of Jesus over you. And when you listen to it, it almost sounds like some sort of, incantation like i'm going to say the right words the heart behind it's nice yeah but i'm going to say the right words and here's why this is dangerous me saying those words comes back on this side to god this gives god permission to work in the earth yeah so now after i speak the words now god can sort of have this wrestling match with satan and yeah we'll see how it turns out in the end right that's awful It's just bad theology. And it speaks one of two things, I think, in the bad theology. And like the first isn't the worst, but it's still really, really bad. And that's of uh, God doesn't know. Like, so I'm going to speak the name of Jesus over you so that he may have attention and come to it. And that's the the nicer of the more heretical solutions to that. And it's also wrong. And then number two is, by definition, I have to speak for God so that he might move, which implies that I am more of a deity than God is, mm-hmm. which is, I have power over God. Stupid. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just don't understand how you get to that point reading any of scripture. Yeah. But not now to, their argument's going to be like, well, no, God's the all powerful God of the universe. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he's like Aladdin's genie. Yeah. Right. So he can't do anything until I 
rub his little Jesus lamp and uh, make my wishes. <laughs> yeah. Well, now all of a sudden before that, yeah, he's all powerful, but he can't do anything. It's just terrible. I'm going to do something right now. Yeah. <laughs> In the word of faith and God, I give you full permission to have full sovereignty again. <laughs> I just cured word of faith theology. You just did the whole thing for all time, all for, time. All, for all time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So you run into a giant problem when you read Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Uh, Everything, everything, everything. Hebrew parallelism, it says the same thing twice in two slightly different ways, which is an exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. Everything in the earth, everyone on the earth belongs to God. Not to Satan, but to God. Now, Satan has been given uh, some limited dominion on the earth, uh, but I, I love, I think it was Martin Luther who said, even, even the devil is God's devil. I think, yeah, I think that was Martin Luther. Like, even, even that which he thinks he's doing, uh, ultimately in crucifying Jesus Christ, uh, Paul's going to write, if they knew. Yeah. If, if Satan and his demons knew what they were doing, they were helping to accomplish the perfect once for all sacrifice that would save forever all of the elect. Paul goes, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Yeah. Giant mistake. <laughs> right? So even the devil is God's devil, you know? Uh, but here's, here's the problem for us. When we are in those difficult moments where it feels like good is losing and bad is winning, like it really feels like the devil's in control of this world. We can forget what the purpose of those moments are. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the things that I mentioned on this last Sunday is that our adversity is meant to lead us to God and it's meant to motivate us then to kill sin, to be Mm -hmm. putting sin to death. Um, We're reminded in uh, one of the Psalms that we talked about this past week, that Psalm 78, that uh, people see the works of God and yet in spite of that, they still sin. They they go on, They, they see all his wonders, they see his power, but they don't believe. And, he says, so therefore God made their days vanish like a breath. Uh, Scary. Yeah. He killed them and they sought him. Yeah. It, but it's even then, even when they are, they're coming face to face with their own mortality, it's not a real repentance because verse 30 is going to, or 36 is going to say that they flattered him with their mouths. They lied with their tongues. Why? Because their heart was not steadfast towards him. They weren't faithful to the covenant. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a giant danger for us if we we start, we reverse those roles and it rather than Psalm 8 saying, man, God, who am I that you're mindful of me? We flip that around and we go, God, don't you know who I am? Yeah. Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know how my uh, family is, how this situation is? Like, I'm the most important person on the planet. And if you don't recognize that, if you don't do exactly what I say when I say it, I don't think you're God. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, we finally got honest with ourselves, and we're Aladdin, right? Yeah, we, we think we are rubbing the lamp to get God to do what we want, and if He doesn't, I'm going to put you right back in that bottle, yeah, and throw it away and say I don't even believe in you anymore. Super, super dangerous, and it, ultimately, it comes back to that that same Psalm 78 said it's because they don't believe in God. And then they did not trust his saving power. And I, I think even as Christians, so for non-Christians who are definitely not listening to this podcast, yeah. 
This is for you. Listen up. This is for you. Uh, you stumbled in because you were looking for the Office Ladies podcast and yeah. you ran into us. Anyways, uh, yeah, repent and believe the gospel. Like there's mm-hmm. a God who loves you. Uh, we should say that even if they're not listening. Yeah. Uh, but for Christians who are listening, we dare not forget that what lurks inside our heart is a selfish, sinful desire to rip God off of his throne that we might sit there. Yeah. And I can't, I can't look at your heart. I can't look at anybody else's heart and see uh, the genuineness, the, the evidence of true saving faith. I, I can see marks of it. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I can see indicators of it. Then again, you may be lying to me for a long period of time. You just might be a good actor. You might be a great actor. In fact, so good that you fooled yourself. Mm -hmm. Kind of like all of our Hollywood actors today who spend all of their lives pretending to be somebody else and they do it so much and people tell them how great they are and take their picture that they're like, wait a minute, I really am great. And they they just have these giant overinflated egos. Yeah, it's us. We do the same thing. And I think for people who would count themselves as believers... I, I think there is a warning from God's word, especially in Psalm 78. Uh, you need to examine your heart. You need to make sure, as Paul would say, whether or not you are in the faith. Yeah. Because there's a chance you may be uh, coming to church, involved in a community group, reading your Bible, praying, only because all those things are your Aladdin's lamp. Mm-hmm. Like they're the means by which you get everything that you want. And as soon as you don't get what you want, as soon as somebody tells you, that what you want is wrong or sinful, uh, or God flat says no, mm-hmm. what's your first inclination? Is it to throw God off of the throne? Maybe even to go, I don't even think there is a God. If it is, there's a decent chance you're not a Christian. Yeah. And it you need to seriously, especially those of you who know uh, tons and tons of the Word of God, have a lot of experience around His people, uh, that's the time to examine your heart, to repent and truly Psalm eight fall before the living God and say, God, who am I? Yeah. The answer, nobody. Yeah. Who am I that you're mindful of me? Nobody. In fact, if it's just me and my sin, I don't want God mindful of me. Right. It, I would hope not. It's like being the, the bad kid in high school who, you know, Oh, principal of the school, who am I that you should be mindful of me? I'm like, I hope not. Yeah. I wish he didn't know my name, right? <laughs> I want to fly really far under his radar. Yeah. You know, uh, the people who are trying to hide from the cops or, or something like that. Uh, how much more from the judge of all the universe? And it, it should rightfully bring us to that place where we go, uh, God, apart from you, I am nothing. Apart from you, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, all that I do have is wrong and wicked and sinful. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of God. Yeah. Turning from my sin, my own uh, supposed wisdom, right? Which the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, uh, desperately sick. Yeah. Who knows how bad it is? So anyways, any, any closing thoughts on yeah, kind of the world? Spurn off of what you just said. I think a great example of like how a faithful person, I, I obviously Christian, how a faithful Christian can see an example of that good modeling of asking God to search our hearts is mm-hmm. actually also in the Psalms. Yeah. Uh, and I taught it the week before I did my sermon at Camp Sila, 
and it's Psalm 139 as, and it's the passage that's the, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. But I'm not looking at that line. It's actually the very end of it when David is calling God to kill his enemies. And Mm. he was like, I hate those who hate you and I'm justified in doing so. But then he says, search my heart, O Lord, and see if there's any grievous ways in me. And if there is, lead me in the paths of salvation. Yeah. It's, it's that great image of, like David, he does say some pretty crazy stuff right before he says that. And he's like, kill them, break their teeth out. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, David, that's kind of crazy. But the context was a little different than ours. But yeah. in his life, what we can glean from that is what he does appropriately, which yeah. is when casting those things and not being accusatory, but asking God to move in his wrathful and sovereign way against those who are against him. He says, search me as well. Yeah. Which that's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Like just on its nose, David was a bad guy. Yeah. And he's saying, God, pour out your wrath on these men. And he's like, and if so be it, look at me and search my heart. Cause if it's not, that also includes me, which is I think kind of an awesome, it is awesome moment in scripture, but it's just kind of awesome to see David as he's writing specifically like Psalm 24 and seeing these things and praising God rightly that he also did the, the other end of God search me and my heart and see if there's any grievous ways in me. And I think that's something to be copied. Like Paul says, I can't remember exactly how it says, but he's like, Follow me as follow I follow me as Christ. I follow Christ. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's one of those things is like we look at David, we see we're called to be doing that as well. Yeah. Like as sinners, because the gospel isn't just for sinners, it's for Christians who are continually sinning. Yeah. Which is admitting, God, I don't want you on that throne. I'm gonna rip you off. So as we were looking, like as I was convicted by Psalm eight, I actually had a lot more thoughts that I wanted to put in my sermon on those mm-hmm. things. But it was that was one of them was like we need to be careful when we're like looking at ourselves and like what is what is man that you are mindful of him God like we need to be careful if we want God to be mindful of us because it it means something yeah quite large yeah and we as Christians like especially during this time of struggling like we're called to be loving Christians and preaching the gospel but also to be living that in our own lives and we scream the opposite every day yeah so I think we need to do our best with what we got and rely on God's yeah. grace and his sanctification. Cause that's the power that brings it to fruition. Yeah. It's Be not found us. in Christ. Yeah. It, apart from, I mean, look at David. Uh, he was a liar, mm-hmm. a manipulator, evidently an egomaniac, a bigamist. He had a whole bunch of wives, yeah. uh, had a whole bunch of concubines. Uh, he a was a murderer, yeah. an adulterer, Right, he had just this this giant rap sheet of sins, and that guy goes before God and says, "God, search my heart." Yeah, if there's any unfinished business, that meant that all that stuff that came previous was finished business between him and God. Mm-hmm. That's awesome because you know I don't know I don't know where you are listening to this or even us sitting here talking about this. Uh, no matter how big your rap sheet of sins is that you bring to this table. Uh, it's not too big for God. Yeah. Unless you don't confess it, repent it and turn from it. If you do that, then it's not actually on God. It's on you. Yeah. 
And you will be the one standing before God saying, God, I hope you don't notice me. And I really hope you don't notice my sin. Oh, but for those who are in Christ, what hope is that? What, yeah. what promise of redemption lies in store for us? Mm-hmm. As we get to go, wait, who's this king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, mm-hmm. O ancient doors. That's good. All right. Well, I think just for time, we'll leave her there, but uh, we'll look forward to worshiping together with God's people this coming Lord's Day. Uh, 10 o'clock is our service. Uh, we have Sunday school at 9, and actually at 9 this week, uh, the Mishlers, who are missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators, are going to be with us in the adult Sunday school hour, so make sure you come to that. Uh, you can hear some of their story, ask some questions, find out what's going on, and Lord willing, we will see you this coming Sunday. All right. God bless. <laughs>